Hello, am Oceano. Welcome to this episode of the Desert Tiger Podcast. Here with me, your host, Colton G. And today on the show, we're joined by pro wrestler Danny Deeds. Oh, Yes, that guy, Danny Deeds, joins us here today to take us behind part of his 13-plus year career inside of pro wrestling, beginning from his um, earliest moments of training until his passion becomes so undeniable that finally he graduated as a pro wrestler, and we're going to find out how he grew from there. What were some of the most crucial and favorite moments of this 13 plus career up until this point? And we're also going to take some time to dive into Danny's work as a promoter as well with Pacific Pro Wrestling in Canada, which also happens to give back to Danny's hometown of Abbotsford. So, giving back to his hometown community and giving back to pro wrestling by giving the next wave of BC's best and brightest a new platform, a new stage, a new ring to compete in. And we're going to dive into all of this and oh, so much more here with that guy, Danny Deeds. And it is brought to you by... DesertTigerMerch.com Where you go to copy yourself something or represent the DTP everywhere that you go. Now that you know who the show's brought to you by, now that you know who our guest is, let's dive into the career of a one. Danny Deeds, let's go! The Desert Tiger Podcast. All right, Ambush, we are here with a man of many talents. He is an entrepreneur, a philanthropist, and a professional wrestler who has held many championships. I speak, of course, about the Danny Deeds, who joins us here today. How is it going, Danny? I'm doing quite well. Thank you very much for having me. Oh, it is an absolute pleasure. I know that we've had some differences inside of the ring before, but that's perfectly okay because we can still reconnect and we can still get to tell your story to the world, which I'm very excited to do here. Well, I appreciate that. Yeah, I've got a, I have a lot to say and a lot of things on my mind. And hopefully as we go along, people will enjoy it and be a little bit interested and then go off in their own way and do some research and find out some things about uh, wrestling in this province and beyond. Well, the province of BC has a lot of history and you are definitely a big piece of it. Recently rated the number 40 wrestler in the history of British Columbia by a one historian, Vance Nevada. And I, what's, I'm ready to jump on into it. Are you? I absolutely am. Yeah. That's uh... (laughs) That's a very flattering ranking. I seeing the list of that hundred names um, and knowing some of the people that I've been in the ring with, I'm, I'm flattered that I'm on that list. Um, and feel it's like, it is a testament to be trying to work hard within this business to get to where I'm still even here now talking to you in perhaps some kind of moderately relevant way to my career. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that, I appreciate that. I appreciate that, the amount of time that that man takes to research this industry and contribute um, it will probably never truly be known, but I'm looking forward to when his book comes out um, with all the statistics. I see he just released Alberta recently too, um, uh, which is another list, which is great. I like that he's breaking that down and, and giving that information to the right people to start sharing. So, mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, making sure that very important history is not only known, but continues to be preserved. 100%. All right. All right. Well, let's preserve a little bit of your journey here today. And of course, I want to start with where things start, because from my research, I can see that you originally tried to take a crack at wrestling in 2002, but it was 2007 when you actually graduated. So 
Take us behind getting in, breaking into the business. Breaking it in. Well, um, my friends, I, I would credit them the most. You know, when in our teenage years, um, we were all just fiends for wrestling. Um, throughout elementary, of course, you just wrestle with your friends. You do all these things. Uh, we started going to house shows. Um, and uh, our first main event that uh, Adrian and I, uh, one of my best friends, uh, he, um, incidentally, to plug him at his heart, at his art burns is, uh, you know, go to him, graphic, et cetera. Um, we'll talk about that a little bit later on. But anyways, so we went to this house show. The first one was so cool, Undertaker, Bret Hart, and a triple threat in the main event of this house show. And we get a flyer for ECCW. And uh, so then we took in more of an interest. We started actively going to indie shows, the Eagles Hall, Bridgeview Hall, um, getting excited as a fan. Um, and of course, you know, my only dream ever was to be a wrestler. There wasn't a time where there wasn't, um, coincidentally enough, Adrian, myself, and one other were voted most likely to end up in WWE in our grad year, uh, based on how much we were vivid in our high school about professional wrestling at the time. Um, Adrian and I bonded actually on the field. <laughs> Talking about mankind and gold dust, and we just we stumbled into conversations, and we were entirely two different social circles in in that realm, but we came together about wrestling. Um, so I want to credit my friends because we spent many years doing things together um, that got got us to the point where we were starting to work with ECCW. Um, my first match was with Adrian. We rented the ring from ECCW and had our own, of course, like backyard match um, at that time, and we had a one hour match and we rented it from michelle star we had to pay per person for the hour plus an extra x amount for our friend to be the referee we came in with our vhs or not our vhs or camcorder which we probably still have eight millimeter footage of that somewhere we had this iron man match between us and um and michelle star at the end of it he's like he, he was complimentary about the fact that we did an hour um of this sloppy attempt at wrestling but you know to our to our credit, we, we tried, right? And, uh, and then from there, we started going to things. There was a, an eventual camp um, where you could have a tryout. ECCW would hold tryout. So I attended a tryout. And then um, after humming and hawing and thinking about it, after some more time, I decided to just go for it. And I ended up uh, breaking in. Um, I was in the same class as Artemis Spencer was at the time. Um, and then you, you could see where he went. <laughs> so you can only imagine if maybe I spent five more years uh, maybe, maybe I could be as talented as, as that man. He's amazing. Um, but, um, I was there for the better portion of a year. I got hurt. Um, and that in combination with not really being able to keep up with the environment, um, would be the, the most delicate way to put it as a, a young whippersnapper, um, a pinner kid from Abbotsford <laughs> didn't know, didn't know nothing about nothing at the time and breaking into a wrestling business. Um, between that and then trying to recover from an injury, um, it ended up being the ankle um, after. But I, the amount that I learned in that time, though, was so invaluable. Bubba, Star, Vance Nevada, psychology back then. Um, and I've told him once before, but I don't even know how to. I learned proper psychology for the first time from Vance Nevada. Back in those classes. And I took meticulous books and did the things. And eventually the course that ECCW and Disco Fury trained me in 2007 was actually written by Vance Nevada. And the company had endured that structural um, situation. So, yeah, so 2002, we were there. Um, and then in between, I actually tried a few more times. The school would open, the school would close. It would move all over the place. And I kept trying to get back in. At one point, Terry Joe Silverspoon, who at the time was, part of ECCW. They had set up the ring in his backyard because there was no training. So we would go set it up in the backyard around all this dog shit everywhere. Do the body rest her soul. And she was such a sweet lady. She was doing her eBay inside, you know, and it was nasty Nader junior and him and I would commute out to Surrey and we would train in this backyard with uh, Mr. India. Now of this team, mischievous back then there was a very small group and people would casually put in. We were training in this backyard. And then there was another situation in Surrey a few months later, another warehouse. Um, and then I was only there for a few classes. And then down to the other one in Surrey where Kyle O'Reilly and Nicole Matthews and Sierra's and El Fantasma, when they trained, I believe that was 2005. I didn't train much in their facility. I attended some of the shows. because They were doing student shows and house shows. 
Um, those were really great back in the day. When they would take the students, and every Sunday afternoon for five bucks, family friends would come out, you'd wrestle in front of 20, 30 people in the warehouse, and the students would get in-ring time to work on their characters until they were ready to get to a point that they were able to be on the paid shows for the companies that were running at the time. And then uh, um, after all the humming and hawing, I was really, I, I want this. I really want this more than anything. I'm tired of just being on the sidelines. And it, and I also looked at it hopefully in a positive way, though. That's five years of paying dues before I broke in in a great way because I got to learn about the ring. I got to learn about the business. I got to show my face. I got to show my respect to the people around. I Some of my favorite times were being ringside security and photographer around a ring because I could be crouched outside the ring two feet away and I wouldn't have to do anything except enjoyed the visual beauty of what was happening in the ring. The rest of their job, the workers had their job, the fans were doing their thing, and I could just be there and just watch it. Because um, as a fan, that it was like, I saw some matches when we were, oh, there was this one time some guy got hit with a pumpkin. I'm not going to say his name, but it was funny. <laughs> yeah. There was a fan to bring the weapons, two cages at Bridgeview Hall. We're cr- I'm crouching down between all these things, and it's mayhem, and everyone's everywhere. And someone comes up, and they just take a pumpkin, and Wham! But the thing didn't crack whatsoever. <laughs> the body went bad, but the pumpkin did not. Uh, good stories. But 2007, I back to the original question. 2007, finally, I'm like, all right, put up or shut up time. So I had the pleasure of sitting down with the ECCW crew at the time, and it was um, Disco Fury and uh, Dave Republic. Um, for those who are familiar with them, Star was in there too. I don't know if he was at that initial meeting, um, but I know. Um, Dave and Disco, and then we went out to a restaurant in Poco, and um, Jamie Diaz was there, Todd Quality was there, um, there was uh, Alex was there, and uh, he, there was another person that had trained at that time, and then eventually Billy Suede joined our class. Um, after already training, he went through a full storm curriculum, and then he came and joined us, and then went through our curriculum as well. The kid, was, he's just amazing. He's not even a kid anymore. He's a grown man, but I'm sure you've seen Billy Suede, perhaps, and if not, Go watch some Billy Suede matches because he's amazing. And um, so we, uh, we sat down and we said, and that was kind of the thing, what do you want to get out of this training? What do you want to see? And we had the opportunity to present it. For me, mine was curriculum. Mine was like, there is, um, I think what causes a lot of tension on a side note topic that we can touch on later is how people were trained, whether or not they were properly trained, whether it was an accredited place they were trained, you know, what the situation, some people went to Storm, some people went to Slam Academy, some people just gradually developed their way into the business and learned over the 5, 10, 15, 20 years. But there's, I think, a stigma between some of those people based on where you come from. Um, but, I, but I also, being a worker in the ring, I can see those differences. I can, I can tell you the difference between someone who has and hasn't been trained, but that doesn't mean I'm not willing to adapt and help people learn and develop so they can get better if they're going to be there anyway. You know, if I'm in a situation and I'm working with somebody, that I don't know who is green who, or doesn't know, you know, shit from a sidewalk or whatever. <laughs> anyway, so 2007, we got to uh, get off topic a lot because I like the rant. Okay. That's fair. Hopefully it's okay. Gives you more time. You're like, I'm not fitting this in 20 minutes. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And um, so 2007, they presented and I wanted to do this curriculum. So Disco, or Nathan Burke, now however you want to look at him, call him. He, um, he took the advanced curriculum and, and that's what he presented to us in five days a week, going hard two to four hours. And we did that for six months straight. And we had so much of the roster and the talent come in and teach us all of the people at the time that were on the roster would come in and make cameos and do things. You know, I learned things from Nicole Matthews. I learned things from Fast Freddie Funk at the time. And it, it just, it just for examples of different styles of wrestling, for example, and it was just, it was different because the environment started to feel more like a family environment and not necessarily just an independent contractor. Everyone's in it for themselves environment, um, which is unusual to talk about because nowadays that's sometimes how it feels and sometimes it's not. all depends on where you go. Um, sometimes it feels like a family and sometimes you feel like an outcast, uh, but for the most part, if you love wrestling and you're good to people, then they're good to you. But it's very, very true. It's very, very true, and it learns. Sounds like you learned that uh, lesson through those years of paying 
your dues and learning quite a few lessons that were probably very invaluable once you finally broke into the business. So when was your first match? Uh, my first official match, uh, December 15th in uh, 2017. And uh, that was at the Russian Community Center, which eventually, it's still running, but they stopped running wrestling shows. And um, that was against uh, the Burger Meister. Uh, Mike Olson, um, if you look him up, um, he's, a, he's a wrestler, he's a referee. Occasionally he still is involved with all-star wrestling. Um, and it, uh, he gave me the pleasure of working me in the ring for the first time. And I think that uh, that night was something memorable to take you back. Like, so we had done all of this training um, the week before I wrecked my car. It went into a post. <laughs> I wasn't injured. It was, but it was horrible to lose that poor car. And uh, so I've had the, the worst week of my life. when they put me in the ring, the Burgermeister, and he took such good care of me, but he didn't have music. And so they gave him closing time as his entrance music. And now every time I hear that on some radio, all I think about is the Burgermeister. And he body slammed me seven times. He had he, he came out in these suspenders and these things, and he shoved burger, he shoved McDonald's fries in my mouth, and it was a great time. Um, I appreciate that. I think some people would see it as hazing now, but the whole night I thought was great. Um, they advertised that we would be on the card. That it would be our first paid card. We had our family and friends come out and be able to buy tickets and watch the show as well as the general public. Um, they didn't say who we were matched up against all of us, but, um, and at the beginning of the show, they brought us out and they chopped us in front of everybody. There was a variety of, there was a variety of people, but a lot of people, they, and that's, uh, some people are into the chopping, some people are into the chopping, some people see it as hazing and bullying and all of these things. Um, and for me, it was exactly what it needed to be. Um, and it was a proper welcome to the business. These were people that trained with us and watched us develop, came to the school, gave us their knowledge. They were working on the roster now that had put into the independent wrestling community. They would each come in, they would chop us, and they would shake our hand and welcome us to the business. And they went through, and they did this in front of us publicly to start the show. And then we, throughout the night, they had their show mixed in, patterned in with our debuts and gave us our first opportunity there. Um, I don't think you're going to find that much. You probably might be hard-pressed to find that kind of thing nowadays. Um, I don't think it's as traditional. I haven't seen it nearly as much. There was a few classes afterwards that did something similar, um, and then people were just running in who just wanted to hit somebody for the sake of hitting somebody rather than, I think, what it was, and then it just kind of fell by the wayside. But um, I really felt that that was when I, like, I know it was my first match, and for sure, um, and that was exciting, but I felt like that's when I really was part of the business because I was recognized by my peers as being one of them, finally. Um, and it was different. That, that was a definitely, a, definitely a memorable night. So if you chop me and you remember, I know I have footage. Um, I have a lot of footage. There's a lot of backlog history that I have. So uh, interesting. We'll delve into that, too. But, yeah, great debut night. I. I was uh, look thinking back. I was probably sloppy as shit. I, I used to go back and watch my matches a whole lot. Uh, Mary Neff, um, or Mama Diaz, as we called her, um, she eventually did the matches too. And of course, Jamie Diaz um, was a great athlete, um, and that's how that all came about. But she uh, she took a lot of footage for us, and I appreciate that, Mary. And over the years, she would give the wrestlers for quite a handful of time when she was around the matches afterwards, so we could go back and watch them on a disc. Um, because back then, that's how that was. Back then, it seems weird. It was only four years ago, but technology just goes through pretty soon, you know. You know. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. It's for, to go from the DVDs right away, and then suddenly it's, oh, just somebody, can somebody take my phone? Can somebody take my phone? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> absolutely. So you finally felt like you had gotten into the business, like you were appreciated like your peer from your peers. So then how did you go on to continue to build yourself as a wrestling entity from there? Well, I have to give credit uh, to Stacey Burke and uh, Nathan for finding the original Danny Deed here. The blue singlet was Nathan's, uh, the striped shirt um, Stacey found. I had these pants that hiked up 
Um, I needed to think of a gimmick in general with this Danny Deeds and a dastardly Danny Deeds and a DDD. Things like that, I think, those run off the tongue in wrestling. Um, and uh, I really felt I needed to be true to me. And I was just a weird owl loving nerd at that time who was passionate about the business. Uh, there was a backstory also with training that um, another company I went to try to train with, I went to and they told me they wouldn't consider starting to train me until I was 180 pounds. And at the time I was 130 pounds. And they wouldn't take my money to train me because of my size. And um, when I was still only 130 pounds soaking wet, um, having this conversation in 2007, um, my goal and my presentation was that I could develop along the way. And then I go. So then by the time I was done training, it was up to 150 pounds, which for a guy with a high metabolism, um, <laughs> trying to keep on some, anything half the time, like right now is great. I was up to, I'd probably say a year ago, I was up to 183, but it was dad bod weight. And now I'm like a decently cut 160-ish, which I, and I'm feeling great. My body's healed. I'm like raring to go. But um, back then, 130 pounds soaking wet. But ECCW and Nathan allowed me to train and develop while I gained that thing. And that's where the end coming and 150 pounds and growing and 160 pounds and growing. We used to attack that onto my thing all the time because no matter what, I was still just little old Danny D just trying his hard out to get that weight up and, and make something of himself. So, yeah, yeah I, 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 there's no better story than the truth when it comes to wrestling, you know. Yeah, I am what I am. And then I think people, I guess, just kind of took to it. Sometimes that was the underdog story, and they just really felt for me. Uh, later on, um, as we might delve into, I was a scrawny little shit heel that knew that if he was just did really crappy things that aren't really nice wrestler tactics, he could probably get his way. Um, but either way, it's been <laughs> good. Absolutely. Absolutely. I love that story because, I mean, as someone else who's also pretty scrawny, um, I understand how hard it is to put on and to keep that weight. So you start to put on weight, you start to grow. You mentioned that you were having one promotion, ECCW, was really helping you along. You were having some problems with some other ones. So when you eventually did break into other promotions, who was that with? Where were you going to? Like, were, were you making the rounds around Alberta and BC? Um, as there's a lot of uh, promotions that have gradually opened up throughout BC that have expanded beyond ECCW. Um, and so I've had an opportunity all the way. 2019, I had the privilege of working for all of them, um, except I didn't get to 365 Wrestling because of, of date at the end of the year, we were really trying to get in there, but it didn't work. So, but in that one year, 2019, I had the privilege of being in all these different locker rooms. Um, my first outside of BC um, was with Real Canadian Wrestling. Uh, Stephen out there booked us. Um, it was interesting. We did a bridge view on a Friday night, and then we drove overnight to, uh, oh, where was it? Thorsby was our first showing. I was trying to think. There was two things. There was, I'll tell you the, the other story I was talking about. I'll get back to um, the overnight where we went to Edmonton, worked it, and then came back again. And it, it was like a three day zip around. But uh, the first time around was in Thorsby. I wrestled against William Saint, and um, that was my first singles. And then uh, second um, night again for RCW was in Athabasca. Um, and it was as a heel. And I went out, I was still Danny Deeds, but I went out in this bar in Athabasca with a, in a six man. And it was against, um, I think it was against the lost Bon Jovi's and someone, but my teammates were domestic partnership. And at the time, like in a rural Alberta at a drunken bar, pushing equality agenda overall was not popular. And me being a scrawny buck 50 weighing nerd coming out thinking I was, and they treated me like I was the hottest shit in town. Like they came out behind me. And like I and I just walked in like I was some big man, and like, that crowd just absolutely ate it up. I got some real heat that night. I think that was like the first real, real heat night for Deeds. Let me tell you. But yeah, it was a good time though. And, um, that was my first Alberta experience. Um, and then OSCW, Old School Championship Wrestling, uh, um, also started up. So 
we went and we wrestled in the Hazel Dean Dome and it was this, that's what they called it. But it was um, literally that name. And, but it was in like the residential kind of off, but still in Edmonton. We took a few trips up there. But the first time around, they didn't know who I was, right? And of course, I'm just some guy. So we ended up, I worked Bridgeview Hall. We drove all the way over. We get to Edmonton. And then because he doesn't know me, they put me on a pre-show against Azim the Dream, who we had driven up. And so I'm like, I just drove like 14 hours to like 13 hours to wrestle a guy five minutes in the open. And it wasn't about that. And he paid me. We did the thing. And after that, we actually became really good friends. And uh, we had a lot of fun angles and we booked it. It was a lot of fun. And he was a great host. It was just great. I just, um, but I thought that at the time that was funny. I was, I remember being so frustrated. Like, so all this way. And we had to leave right away and drive right back. I had to work Monday morning. So then it was like, got right in and right back around. Yeah. Good times, good memories. But Alberta's fun. I do wish I had done a lot more in Alberta. I still wish to. I'd like to go back and, and work all over the place. I'd like to work for PPW out there. I'd like to work for RCW now in this age, like a decade later, because I haven't been to Alberta in almost 10 years. We were supposed to um, have it line up because I was going to go back to Saskatchewan and visit some people this last summer, which I ended up doing. What was it last summer? Um, I think probably around the time of COVID or the year before. But either way, the dates kept not lining up, unfortunately. Um, but I, I've always wanted to wrestle in Calgary or, or Alberta. There's a lot of people that I remember um, who had come through from Alberta that um, you know stayed with us and were working with us and we learned from and we did all these things. Randy Myers was great. You know, Superfly Dan. Back in the day, Chucky Blaze, and now he's Michael Richard Blaze. Um, you know, those guys, like I was there when they were first around Alex Plexus and we had, and we had some great time. Um, just, yeah. No, it's uh Steven styles has given a lot of opportunity to a lot of wrestlers from various places. And, uh, it's very um, awesome that he continues to be able to do that through good and hard times. Yeah, that's true. There's, um, I think as with every promoter, myself included, um, Everyone is a controversial figure, at least to the workers, uh, maybe not so much the general public. Um, so, you know, we've got, uh, we all uh, have our unique way of doing business and, and making it successful. And uh, to his credit, he has, he has hung on through some very trying times out in Alberta, um, a lot of different opinionated battles in public and a variety of different things, but he continues to provide wrestling entertainment in Alberta. Um, and be something that's regular there. Um, I miss Big Jeff. I miss Heavy Metal. On a side note, there were some controversial figures there, too. Heavy Metal was really nice to me when we came out there, and he took good care of us. And, uh, you know, there's so many fun road stories. I broke Heavy Metal's bed. Um, I, I don't even, that's the whole, like, I did. It wasn't, that just collapsed in the middle of the night when I was sleeping on it. And then he just, so many different fun times, but it's uh, it's funny. And then you mention people, and then uh, other people get on. They're talking about blah blah blah. Mm-hmm. No, and that's it. Is as soon as you mentioned Big Jess, is the first match I ever refed was, I believe, Big Jess versus Barricade, and I wrestled Barricade also. Yeah, yeah, and it's um both of them incredible individuals who gave me a ton of advice, and even Heavy Metal, like after that match, was just willing to give me like advice and I was like who I'm just like some random kid from a province that's not even here and like the just the amount that they're willing to give people and the knowledge that they have and like with heavy metal running top talent pro wrestling now I'm very excited to see that because he's able to pass on a lot more of that knowledge absolutely I uh I don't think that in other we don't give enough credit to our other peers in this business for the things they do and the way they contribute. Um, I know like even like, even now down out here, like we know that even before COVID, you know, the dojo does a great job and they don't get enough credit yet uh, for all of the ways that they help it out. Eddie Osborne and his schools and the way he does things, VIPW, how they take care of the stuff, even in the Okanagan, they take care of each other in different ways and, and help each other build and grow. Um, but to see the their change as well, it's interesting because social media is great. I try. I used to just be a hound for social media, as you saw when I and when, and like 
especially in that guy's, you know, real heavy onslaught a couple of years back. And now not so much. Um, so, but I have watched, I have enjoyed watching stories unfold over the years and to see some of these people that I first started out with, see where they are now, five, 10, 15 years later after watching them and seeing the independent scene develop from a locker room standpoint and from a fan standpoint. Um, yeah, I'm really proud of them to be honest, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, it's even so like, see, you see them not meddling, Jeff, um, and, and everyone else. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> All right. You mentioned there that you're a promoter and I want to get into that very soon here too. But before we get there, I want to get into some of your other favorite accomplishments and matches from your time, your 13 years plus here in pro wrestling. Yeah, that's a, that was a reflective question that took me a while to really like, because uh, I've had a lot of matches, but I, um, I was keeping track. Um, and then when I got to just under 300, um, then I, I stopped taking journals the way I should have. Um, if you're a new wrestler breaking on the scene, take notes, write in a book, how much you made, how much you traveled, where you went, who you worked, all these things. Because later on, when you don't remember it all, you really look back and want to remember it all. Um, I still have some of those books and those things, um, but, oh, so many things. Um, I've done a great deal. I'm very happy about that. I was rookie of the year right off the bat. I was like, yeah, I'm going to do something. And then not so much, but <laughs> first, uh, the jobber title, ECCW jobber championship. I was proud of that um, because the concept switched. Um, I started and then within a month, I had this opportunity to win this title. And we flipped it in such a way that, um, I tricked him into beating me. So I won this belt and then I polished it up and it was the prettiest, brightest jobber championship you ever seen. And that was a great attribute to my gimmick. And it didn't ever hurt me to lose. I had so many different championship matches. One of my favorites in Abbotsford was when um, Veronica Vice, who at the time was going to wrestle for the Supergirls championship. And we are backstage and doing all these things and she's warming up and she really badly rolled her ankle. And they're like, what are we going to do? And I'm like, well, why don't I fight Nicole Matthews and we'll go title for title. So I was either going to even at that time early in my career, win the Supergirls championship or she was going to become the daughter or however that was going to work. And it was right there in my hometown. It wasn't planned for that night. That wasn't what was going to go down. Um, but that was a fun little finish. Right. And I went to set her up for my, my finish and the ref got knocked over with her feet and she nutted me and rolled me up and she retained the Supergirls championship and in front of my hometown, I retained my ECCW jobber championship. So that was a fun story. Um, uh, a few reigns with the Big West Wrestling Television Championship. I think my match against Shotgun the second time around had the most meaning for me personally. Um, that was one of those nights where I showed up and, you know, breaking cafe, brother. Um, I didn't know what was going to go down that night. And I showed up anticipating that I just needed to continue on helping whatever needed to be done for that story at that time. And much to my surprise, as a baby face, I had the opportunity to go out and win the championship for a second time. And um, having the crowd support me to get that that year i had i would i had been a real bad heel and then i'd flip back to being a baby face and um i really just love the lake city crowd i love Kelowna. i really do the okanagan has always been favorable to me um as far as providing a platform with the promoters um the community itself one of my favorite adventures was being part of the may days parade um which is a whole other thing i had a great time doing that um Invasion Championship Wrestling, all the stuff that Marty and Big West have done over the years. I just, the crowds are great. They accepted me back. I was babyface deeds, and then I got to win the championship that night. And it really, it meant something to me more so because it felt like a victory for them too. Um, and no one was really expecting to see it coming. Uh, Shreds, who had hated my gut, and I had screwed him so many times leading up to his first big win. We built it and built it and built it like my 
first run as a champion, I came into a match that I wasn't even involved in. And then all of a sudden was the champion. And then I held that belt for six months and it was, and people shot all over that angle. They hated it. Promoters hated it. They hated that I would be a champion or that I could represent a company. Like there was not a favorable view of me regardless. But when I put shreds over, it was great. But then a, a year later, nearly for him to come out and help me in any capacity, win that title. It was just, it was a good moment. It was definitely a, just a feel good moment. Um, they did that thing. They did that also for me at the Agri fair. Uh, there was a year where I was determined. I was like, I'm going to be the wrestler from Abbotsford who's had the most matches at an Abbotsford Agri fair. Because I know back in the day, like some of the guys were two, three, four, five times a day and do all things. They could be from whatever but a wrestler from Abbotsford to set that record. And it was five days over the Agra Fair, and we were having like two or three shows a day. I'm like, oh, I can do the hot open, and I can be in the Battle Royal, and I can do all these things. Right off the bat, first match, horribly roll my ankle and like some kind of F5, and I can barely walk on it, and I still gutted that out every single match. I just taped that ankle, and I'm you all right, dude? Yeah, I'm fine, I'm fine. And I just kept going out there. And I ended up like having like 17 matches, I'm pretty sure, at the end of it. So, the very last match, the Monday afternoon main event card. Of course, you know, you got your not as many as 500 on the weekend when they had the big name there for the couple nights, signing autographs and being part of the main event, which those times were great too. I got to work with Ted DiBiase as a manager and Jimmy Hart as a manager. And I've had a lot of great opportunities to be involved with the people on an even higher level when it comes to experience than me in this business. But they, uh, there was a time when I didn't even know I was standing in the ring. Uh, for those of you, there was an ICW. I think it was the International Championship Wrestling down here previous over the years that was run. Um, their belt kind of looked like the NWA-style title, um, you know, kind of a rectangular with a lot of different uh, flags and things of that nature. And um, But the company had not really run. Some people associated it slightly with Diamond Timothy Flowers, um, and occasionally when he would run things, it might be under that. So I'm there. Mantasia and I are about to lock up. And then all of a sudden they announce that this match is for the championship belt. And they, and, then all, and they bring out the ICW championship belt and hoist it up in the ring. And then I ended up winning that championship in my hometown. Um, and just the, having that random feel-good moment as a thank you for your hard work and effort over the weekends. Like, fair, it sucks that well, you can get into it as a whole other topic that it, who knows when or if or what construct it will be back for wrestling. Um, but I had some really good times and really good people. And, but those weekends consume my life. I would, I would work for two hours and then I would wrestle. There was one year, I think it was uh, 2018, the year that I was going to run for mayor. I was working as part of the setup crew for the Agri Fair with Joe Funk. And then between wrestling shows, we were working the shows and he was bunking over here. And it was like this, it was the weirdest thing to like put on my boots and lace everything up. And then in between I'd go around and pick up garbage, whatever. But you know, very interesting context for those who don't know. I do everything. And then everything. And we're going to be getting into all so much more of it here today. too. So much more. Woo! All right. So, you mentioned Abbotsford being your hometown and where you're from, and it also happens to be the home of Pacific Pro Wrestling, your promotion where you not only give back through entertainment, but you also give back through charity with this promotion as well. So take us a little bit behind PPW, where the idea of it was born and what it's sort of like to run a show in your hometown. Um, I'm, uh, I'm really happy. Uh, once upon a time I had a dream and it was to be a wrestling promoter, um, just as much as a wrestler. I, uh, a story to lead into that was that I had one ticket and all of this package to go down to watch Survivor Series in Dallas, Texas. Me and my friend went down there, a whole lot of fun stories we'll get into. Uh, RIP, I miss you, Dave. And, um, Eric Bischoff after Survivor Series was at the bar of the hotel that WWE had put all every all the ticket winners up in. And so of course me being a big big old fan of everybody at that time, I went over to Eric Bischoff and said, Hey, I want to get into wrestling promoting. 
<laughs> what do you think? And he turned to me and he said, hey, better off getting into real estate. And that's it. And then he went back to his drink. And that was the only interaction I had with him. Um, but uh, I thought about that. And as much as real estate was tempting, I stuck with the idea of being a wrestling promoter. Um, it was BBW wasn't my first dabbling. A few years ago, I put my foot in the door as a, as a, I guess, a, a shareholder in ECCW. Um, there was an opportunity when there was a bit of an ownership change and transition a few years ago um, where I thought, well, I already work with a lot of these people. I'm working regularly with the company. I know its history. And this would give me a, an opportunity to get my foot in the door and provide some of the business aspect. I think that's a lot of different. There's a lot of wrestlers who run wrestling promotion. There's a lot of people who run wrestling promotion, but there's very few businessmen who are also professional wrestlers that run wrestling promotion because all of those things are different and you can't, you've got to wear a lot of different hats. I think that gives PPW a lot more credit because at least for choosing something a little bit different, but I was with ECCW as an owner and then I parted ways for a variety of different reasons, which I'm not going to overly delve into, but let's just put it at, we both, or the group, the veteran, we felt we could run things differently ourselves. Um, and thus, I thought, well, maybe I should just try doing that. Um, Abbotsford itself, we have 140,000 plus people here. It's a large city. We have wrestling championships at our schools. We have people that have come from our schools to go on to WWE. We've seen that there's an interest year after year for wrestling. Uh, so I thought, well, let's just do something that gives the community something in it that's entertainment that we can do it where we can book differently and kick open BC's forbidden door. Um, and I like that term because I appreciate that in October, AEW started. And then since then they've really kicked open the forbidden door. Um, but we kicked open BC's forbidden door um, starting in the February and March shows when we started taking promotions that wouldn't normally say yes to booking those two guys because they work for other people. And we started blending those cultures. So, um, that, you know, touching on PPW, I think that that's um, very exciting. And that's something that we do differently. Um, that really makes us kind of stand out apart. Now, now coming back, uh, that's going to be a whole other conversation, but, um, it transitioned. We left DCCW, um, and decided that it'd be better for me to just not have a business relationship, but, you know, we still occasionally, I would still help out and ring announce or occasionally be part of things if there was an opportunity to do so. Cause I'm a worker and doing business. I think that's the hard part too, where it's, I think a lot of tension in the whole wrestling world comes from what you will and won't tolerate when it comes to who you will and won't do business. Um, and, uh, that again is another delving topic. Um, but, um, for PPW, it was, uh, I had always wanted to get to that point. I think it was finally just taking that jump and saying that, yes, we could do it. We have a great team. Uh, there's four of us that contribute ideas and thing. I, I'm the mouthpiece of the company now, and it, it's perhaps associated with my name currently. Um, it doesn't mean there aren't going to be some other characters soon off who might uh, get involved with that as a little teaser. But um, it, uh, we gradually just said we're going to go for it. And, uh, and we had a large support from our community to do it. Um, we Originally, the idea was for us to be working as, as a charitable organization. Like, oh, we'll have wrestling shows and then we're going to donate all of this back and do all of those things. Uh, we found a better construct for both the organizations now that we're working with and for us where it, we've become more of a community awareness organization where people can come there. We're going to give an opportunity for them to speak, for them to have a platform and a new audience, for them to try to raise funds on their own and work in conjunction with having us entertain the city um, and making it, you know, there's so many organizations out there. It's nearly impossible to reach them all. But if we can be like, hey, do you know that so-and-so does this? And hey, do you know so-and-so does that? I, I think that's a great contribution because that's, at least we're doing something. And yes, we do give back. When the opportunity is there, sometimes it's been monetarily. We did one for the food bank um, where we, you know, people just donated um, food. And when we, uh, Wrestling with Hunger did a great job of that, which will be another story as well, too. ECCW ran that. I believe it was 2000. I want to say 2010, but it might have been 2009. Ugh, my date's foggy. Where they are a 72-hour marathon show, and they raised over 3,000 pounds of food. Um, that, was a, that was a great uh, opportunity to learn then what you could do for a community. And then I'm hoping in future to do the same things and, and build them up a lot more. So. Okay, so not just giving back to your 
hometown community, but also by kicking down the forbidden door. You're also giving back to the wrestling community by giving workers the opportunity to work in not just a new city, but to also work in new talents who maybe they haven't had the opportunity to work for them to get noticed by other promoters as well. Yeah, I, uh, that was kind of the idea from a working standpoint. I think that's where the benefit comes. We're like, well, what kind of dream matches would I want to see? Or like, I'll go up to the Okanagan and I'll work with a handful of talent who's up and coming. Some of them have been trained by Storm. Some of them have been training and developed through anybody else. And they're just, they're ready to try to take that next step. But getting on to regular mainland shows politically, sometimes there's a struggle because of what I mentioned before, you know, the training, where you came from, whether or not you might be good enough to be on a card or, or polished enough or safe enough. Uh, sometimes it's a safety issue for people, and that's entirely a feasible um, discussion point. Um, but I also know that there's a lot of talent that have come from many walks of life in this province, be them be it their promoters or be it their workers or be it their wherever that have come along and haven't done a Monday to Friday, nine to five training gig for six months straight, but still have contributed to this business in invaluable ways that can never be forgotten, never be taken away from them. And they've de developed their craft to such a point that at this point in the game, it isn't really as relevant because what they give to wrestling is really outweighing the backstory of what happened 20 years ago. You know, the wrestler you are now isn't going to be the wrestler you are in a year from now because hopefully you're going to be better, right? Exactly. We constantly grow, right? Absolutely. And it's fair to, it, I wanted everyone to spread their wings, dip the toe in wrestling other people and just see if that magic can exist between those people. And so far, I think we've done a great job at mixing up so many different types of characters from all walks of life We've flown people in. We've had names come up. I had the pleasure of working on the random fly in that six-man tag match with Rikishi. I wasn't ever scheduled to be in that match. As much as it ended up being this angle where Todd was like, well, why don't you just wrestle? It did make sense because I was there in my hometown and it was my promotion. But initially, my idea was to never wrestle for Pacific Pro Wrestling. Um, I have my career. There's other promotions that can hire me to do what I want to do if I want to be the guy and do all of that stuff. But Pacific Pro Wrestling doesn't need to be about me. It needed to be about everybody else that was out there that just so we can wrestle and have fun and not have a locker room where we felt tense and we could work with new people and just give the fans something exciting and different. Because you can have a company, and to its credit, it doesn't matter what company you are, you can have your staple of 8, 10, 12 guys but if you just only work those people for the same circuit for X period of time without blending anybody new in or without trying to hit those, those waters, it's hard, right? And you can fly people in and, you know, give the fans what they want by having some people popular show up, but you want to be developing the talent around yourself. You want to be developing everybody here. I love the workers watching the different styles. I think PPW gives everything to you. Our first show was like that. We're going to give you a triple threat match. We're going to give you a women's match. We're going to give you a tag match. We're going to give you a championship match. Having other championships defended on, like, we had VIPW's championship, the Thrash's championship defended in Pacific Pro Wrestling. We had an international title change where a company, DOA UK Wrestling, Madison Miles, lost her championship in our ring. And then for the first time and only time, Started Black was that and the Okanagan Interior Champion for Thrash at the same time. And then All-Star Wrestling the next night, then all of a sudden, Madison Miles has the belt back. It's the the implications historically from that weekend and calling a promoter that I didn't know and having a, or not calling, but having an interaction between us all from the other side of the world to say, Hey, this is a cool idea. Let's just do it. And we shocked the people because, Oh no, we're not going to go to Abbotsford and see an international championship take place. And like a title change, that's not going to happen, but yeah, it's going to happen because that's, that's the, those are the pops that I would want. <laughs> I want to give that to the people. I'm, excited. I'm a fan just as much. Like that's why you wrestle. That's why you. Because you're a fan. You love wrestling. Mm -hmm. Well, and it's you want those moments where you can draw people in, where they'll come in and okay, yeah, it's a title match. All right, like why would they put this title from the UK on? Oh my God, what 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 just happened? Yeah, and the mix up, like uh, our tournament night. Um, even when we went with uh, the show, must go on. You know, I, there, there was a Broadway match between, or they 
or double pin, I think it was the finish, and um, Judas Icarus and Travis Williams, and they were both champions at the time, and they just put it all on the line, but they told such a story. And it just, I can't even, I can put over all the matches and all the people. I, I'm very excited about coming just because we do that. We think outside the box. Now is going to be the tricky part. Say what? Yes, that's right. We're leaving you on a cliffhanger here today, here on part one with Danny Deeds. But don't you fret because part two is going to come your way very, very soon. And we're going to talk about things like what does Danny Deeds look for as a promoter? How can wrestlers prepare? to get booked once everything returns back to normal we talk about danny deeds himself and oh so much more and that is going to come your way very soon but until then it's about time that i gave danny deeds a roaring dtp thank you for joining us here on today's episode of the show and I need to thank a German from your podcast editor.com for throwing it together, for making it sound oh so good. And I need to thank you, the Ambush, for joining us here on today's episode of the podcast. If you have yet to join up with the Am, first off, what are you doing? Secondly, it's as easy as hitting subscribe on your favorite podcast listening app or service you can also help the dtp grow by sharing this episode with your friends your family on your social media you can give desert tiger a five-star review on apple podcasts and stitcher radio and you can head on over to desert tiger merch.com to copy yourself something to represent the show everywhere that you go yes and now, it's about time that we say our bye-byes for this episode of the DTP, but not before I fi- tell you that to go out and find your mountaintop, your oasis, your roar, the thing that makes you want to jump out of your seat, your heart jump out of your chest, find your roar, and then let it out into the world and let them know just how powerful, wondrous, and beautiful that you and your roar are because you are all three of these things and oh so much more and until next time I am the desert tiger podcast <laughs>